First Peter chapter 4. You know, most of this book is about suffering. A lot of it is. It kind of continues in Second Peter, but looks Second Peter deals more with the second coming of Christ. But anyway, verse twelve through the end of the chapter, First Peter chapter four. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. as though some strange thing happen unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as, an, as a murderer or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this behalf, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them and be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So we shouldn't think it's strange that we have hardships in life. Man is born to troubles, Job says, as the sparks fly upward. So... The title of the message tonight, Suffering Without Shame. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to be assembled together and to look into your word. And I pray that we'd find encouragement and strength and also be challenged. And may you be glorified. And Lord, when we suffer, might we glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have three three points, main points I want to mention, a couple sub-points under some of them, about suffering without shame. First of all, be not, they're all, they're all begin with be, be, be not astonished. Now, if you notice in verse 12, it used the word strange twice. And he says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which has tried you, as so some strange thing happen unto you. And the word strange means to be surprised. Oh, wow. Or astonished. After all, the Lord told us we can expect it. So John, if you place here, we'll be back. But in John, chapter 15. John chapter 15. <clears throat> John chapter 15, verse 18, which Jesus is preparing to leave the disciples, preparing to be crucified. And he says in John 15, 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. 
If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is, that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. And notice chapter 16, verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. So don't be surprised, disciples, when the world hates you. Verse 2 says, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. So we ought not be surprised or think it's strange or troublesome when we have trials and tribulations in this world. In Matthew 5.12, uh, you know, and this has been the history of God's people uh, since the beginning of time. Matthew 5.12, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Acts 7, verse 52, Stephen in his testimony before the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin said, Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them which, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. And in Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, says, who both killed the Jews, 1 Thessalonians 2.15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. You know, ever since the beginning of time, ever since sin came on the scene, there has been enmity between God's people and the people of the world. It happened in the first family. The first two children. Cain killed Abel. And look at, and there's some interesting statements in the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation 16 and 6. 16, 6. Revelation 16 and verse 6. It says... For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. He's talking here about people during the tribulation. He's going to turn the rivers and waters into blood, and fountains of waters into blood. Can you imagine old guys are out in Wyoming shooting blood? The springs, where you get your drinking water, maybe, or your well, bringing forth blood. Well, of course, if you know the Lord, you're not going to be here when that happens. Praise the Lord. But he said they shed the blood of saints and prophets, and so he's given them blood to drink. Chapter 17, verse 6. Chapter 17, verse 6. 
And, and you know, we talk about Babylon, and a lot of people say this is the great whore, this is the Roman Catholic Church. It's more than that. It is false religion. It is false religion. Uh, you know, I, I believe, you know, if you, if you trace Babylon throughout the Bible and take it all the way back, it's, 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 it's the, the imitation or it's the replacement of the true religion. It's, it's false religion. You know, Babylon itself, the original Babylon, was full of false religion. Of course, Nimrod was, uh, uh, he was a, he was a uh, what's the Bible say? How does that say? He was a uh, huh? mighty hunter before the Lord. And the word before there means in the face of God. So it was in defiance against God. It wasn't that he hunted animals. He wasn't a lion hunter. He wasn't a moose hunter and he wasn't a deer hunter. He was a man hunter. That's what he was. And, and, of course, that's, you know, Babylon is where they tried to build the tower, reach in the heaven. It, was, it, was false, it speaks as false worship. And, and I believe that Babylon here is, is, and I think the Catholic Church is the biggest promoter of this thing, but I think Islam is going to get together with them all sooner or later. They all serve the same, they all serve, have the same father, and that's the devil. So don't be surprised. And of course, there's already talk about them getting together. But anyway, and notice what it says in verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Admiration. And then in chapter 18, verse 24, still speaking about Babylon, it says this, And in her, I want you to notice, think about the statement here, think about the wording, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain on the earth. It says, all that were slain upon the earth. Have God's people ever been instigators of war? Well, you know, talk show hosts and our former president talk about the Crusades. I'm sorry, those weren't Christians. That was part of the whore, the Roman Catholic Church. Those were not Christian people. You know, God's people have never been instigators of war. And, it, and so, don't be surprised. And, and, you know, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The world is not favorable to God's people. Neither is the God of this world. You might say, well, you know, why am I going through what I am? It isn't because bad people are doing it. It's just something bad's happening. Well, you know, you know who the God of this world is. And the God of this world tried Job. He was the one that brought all the evil upon Job. And God allowed it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But so, so don't be surprised. Don't be astonished when it happens. Don't think it's strange. And, and it, these things happen to us for several reasons. Number one, proves us. It proves us. Notice verse 12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Try you. The word trial here, or fiery trial, specifically the trial of man's fidelity or his integrity. It can be persecution. It can be an enticement to sin or temptation uh, or, or some circumstances. But it's something that's, that's, that's allowed by God in, in our lives to try us. 
to prove to us, prove us. You know, it, it's it's the word that uh, refers to like the burning uh, of metals. You know how they're burned or and refined. Uh, it you know, and you put fire to metals, it tests the character of the metals. And Proverbs twenty seven twenty one says, "As the fining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise." Malachi chapter three, verses two and three says, "Who but who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering." In righteousness, and we know that particularly the book of Daniel talks about how that how he's going to bring the, the nation of Israel through the fire to bring an end to sins. Daniel nine tells us that to bring an end to sins, to purify his own people. So God allows these things to test us, to prove us. Look at go to James chapter one, James chapter one. Now, I'm going to do what you guys and you girls, guys and girls in school are not supposed to do. I'm going to read the beginning of the book and the end of the book, and give you a summary. You ever, you know, some of you have maybe done a book report and you didn't have time to read the book, so you read the first chapter and the last one to get the idea of the book, and then you just write something. You never did that, Abby. No, good. Uh, now we're not supposed to do that, but I want you to think about something here. James chapter one, verse verse two. My brethren, count all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And I think the, 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 the theme of this book is temptations, trials, are to perfect us. Now, go to, the, go to chapter 5. Go to chapter 5, verse 7. So he says here, we'll let patience have her perfect work, chapter two, 1, verse 4. And then chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it. It's like a, a farmer, you know, and he plants, he plants seed in his garden, and then he waits patiently, and he toils, and, and he burdens over it, and, and uh, works it, and cultivates it to... So it brings forth fruit. So, like the husband waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain, be also patience, patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken unto you in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven nor by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. All these are sufferings. They're afflictions. And prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and, he, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. 
The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way, he shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. So, uh, you know, you, if you read the, 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 usually if you read the beginning of a book and the end of the book, you can get to the theme of the book, or the purpose of the book. And James is telling us here that, you know, there's going to be many things in life that are going to test us. There are tests. And he's telling us, look, when trials come, don't blame God. Don't say I'm tempted of God. Don't say I'm tempted to do evil because God tempted me to do evil. Because God doesn't tempt anyone to do evil. We heard about that this morning. And he talks about the temptation when trials come to, tempt with, or to sin with our tongue. Chapter 3. Or to show partiality, or, 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 or you know, chapter two, and, and there, there's a lot of things in here he talks about, and and uh, or to be uh, uh, um, uh, grudge against one another, or or uh, uh, and, and so on, you know, and all these things that 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 we're tempted to give in and not be faithful to the word of God in times of temptation. But he says, be patient, brethren. The Lord is very pitiful even as he was with Job. You know, it's interesting, in Genesis 22.1, the Bible says that God did what? Tempt Abraham. Of course, he tried him. And the interesting thing is that he told Abraham to do something that he told would bring capital punishment in Genesis chapter 9. Think about it. He told him to kill an innocent person. In Genesis 9, he said, anyone that takes a man's life, anyone that sheddeth blood by man, shall his blood be shed. When he told Abraham directly to do that, why? He was tempting or testing him. He was trying him. So he was proving Abraham's fidelity, his faithfulness. Jeremiah chapter 35, Brother Mitchell mentioned this, the men's camp out. Jeremiah, the Lord tells Jeremiah, you go gather the Rechabites, and you bring them into the temple, and you offer them wine to drink. That's a no-no. So Jeremiah, he gathers the Rechabites, and he brings them into the temple, and he sets wine before them, and he says, drink. And the Rechabites say this, our father commanded us never to drink wine, nor to build houses that dwell in tents. And we will not drink. And Jeremiah says, Therefore, you children of Judah, hear the word of the Lord. Children of Rechab were faithful to their father. Why have you forsaken me? You see, through the trials, and though they were tempted, they did not. And even in the midst of a captivity, they would not. In 1 Samuel, Chapter 13, we have the account of Saul. You know, Saul was chosen to be king over Israel. He was anointed by Samuel to be the king. And, and uh, Samuel gave him instructions. Uh, when he went to battle, he was to tarry seven days. He said, you tarry seven days till I come and offer the sacrifice. Well, it's the seventh day. 
and Samuel hasn't showed up. Now the day isn't over, but it is the seventh day. And so it's the seventh day and Samuel has not yet come and the Philistines are gathering themselves together to battle and, and the people are becoming fearful and they're starting to hide and flee away from Saul and Saul is beside himself. He don't know what he's going to do. So he, he says he forced himself and he offered the sacrifice. He intruded into the priest's office. And you know as soon as he offered it, guess who shows up? Samuel. See, that was a test. Saul, are you going to obey me or aren't you? And because he failed to obey, God said, that kingdom shall not continue. You see, trials prove us. They prove our salvation. They will try us. They also Bring us into active participation with Christ. Now in verse 13, verse 13 it says, But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So they bring us into active participation with Christ. We are, we, they make us, trials make us partakers of Christ's sufferings. The word partaker there means to come into communion or fellowship, to become a sharer, to be made a partner. Uh, same word Luke, in, used in Luke chapter 5, verse 7, where it says they beckon unto their partners. Speaking of James and John and Peter and Andrew, they were partners in fishing. Uh, so it brings us into partnership, you will, or into sharing with Christ's sufferings. Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. We like the power of his resurrection part, but the fellowship of his sufferings, well, you know. Uh, And in Colossians 1.24, the Bible says this, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and and fill up that which is behind is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. So it really brings us into this participation or fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. It makes us a partner with him. With him. Uh, and so, so we're not to be astonished. Uh, have fiery trials. But notice the second thing, nor should we be ashamed. Notice the verse 14 through 16, it says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as, an e- as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So, we're not to be ashamed. Now, so think about it, not being ashamed. Of course, we should not suffer for evil doing. You know, that will make us ashamed if we suffer for evil doing. Verse 15 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an mur- evildoer, or as a busybody." 
in other men's matters. We should not we should be ashamed to suffer for those kinds of things. As Christians, we're not to be involved in that kind of stuff. Not to participate in it. We're not to murder and or steal or or be an evildoer, just lawless. You know, our society and our world is becoming filled with lawlessness. And rebellion is the mindset of the day. Uh, whether it's against, you know, of course, that's where it started. It started with parents. That's where it begins. It starts with parents and goes all the way to, the, to, to, to uh, teachers, to, to, to uh, uh, police, to government. And, you know, it's just this anti-authority movement. And we don't have anything to do with that. It's an evildoer. Uh, or busybody, sticking our noses in other people's business. So we should not, we should be ashamed to suffer for, uh, for evil doing, but we should not be embarrassed to suffer or be ridiculed for truth. And that's what he means here when he says, let them not be ashamed. Uh, you know it says in verse 14, if ye be reproached. Now you're going to find that if you're going to live for the Lord, at some point in time you're going to be reproached. You're going to be reproached. The word reproached means to upbraid or find fault, uh, to discredit. Um, you know, they did that to the Lord Jesus in Matthew, or, um, Mark 15, 32 when he was on the cross, they said, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified him with him reviled him. Uh, they may upbraid you for your obedience to the word of God. The way you live. In fact, Peter tells us early in this chapter, he says in verse 4, Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So they may upbraid uh, you for the way you live. Why do your women dress like that? Isn't that kind of strange? This isn't the 50s. And they, they try to ridicule and make fun. What did they do to Daniel? Well, they couldn't find any fault in his life, so they tried to discredit him before the king. Potiphar's wife couldn't get Joseph to sin with her, commit adultery with her, so she lied about him. Lied about him. You see, the world will reproach us, and they will upbraid us, and they will try and find fault or try to discredit us if you're going to live for God. But notice he says, the glory of God resteth upon you. In uh, verse uh, 14. Uh, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth on, upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now the, the glory of God there means, it speaks of the majesty of God. And I try to illustrate this this way. You know, 1 Corinthians eleven seven says this, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. And 
you know, that means that because in her preeminence and, and authority uh, of her husband, in her, uh, because in her, the preeminence and authority of her husband are conspicuous, in other words, are clearly seen, that she is recognizing her husband's authority. And that's what the long hair in a woman stands for. It speaks up. Submission uh, to her husband. So it's conspicuous or it's made clear or evident. And that's what here, that's what it means here. When we re, are reproached for the name of Christ, the, 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 the uh, authority of God is clearly recognized in our life and His majesty. Proverbs 12.4 says this, A virtuous woman is a what? Crown to her husband. Crown. So when we are reproached for Christ, we are a crime to Him. We are a crime to Him. Let me give you some examples. Go to Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 and verse 15. Acts 6, 15. Here's Stephen on trial. He, they have, they have. Verse eleven says they have suborned men, which said, "We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God." And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council, set up false witnesses, which said, "This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law." We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. It shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And notice verse 15. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. I mean, they, they thought, they felt like they were looking at an angel while they're accusing him of all these things which were not true. And then in chapter 7, <clears throat> chapter 7, verse 54, of course, Stephen uh, puts it to him straight. In verse 54, he said this, says this, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Go to chapter, Luke chapter 21. You know, what has just taken place there, Jesus told them would happen in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 uh, verse 12. <clears throat> and again, he is talking about they're going to be persecuted. In verse 12 of Luke 21, he says this, Before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Now, 
and go to Acts chapter 4, and we see an example of that. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter and John have just been arrested for preaching and for healing a guy. It's amazing what you can get arrested for. Uh, And so in verse 12, you know, Peter's, speaking to them, and he says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. In verse 13 it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus, and beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them as manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now, several things I want to say about this. Number one, they said that they were, they marveled that they, they were, because they're, they're ignorant, they were considered ignorant and unlearned. Now, Peter just preached on the day of Pentecost, and he quoted a lot of Old Testament scriptures, which ignorant and unlearned learned men are not supposed to know. The guys that knew that stuff were the scribes and the Pharisees who had access to all the books and studied the books, not fishermen. And here these fishermen are standing up and they're instructing the scribes and the Pharisees. So where did they get this learning? You know, the Pharisees are dumbfounded. And then add to that Here's this lame man who's been healed. You know, we had an old saying in Pennsylvania. I know this sounds kind of crude. We used to say, well, he got caught with the pants down. You know, they're just, they're, they don't know what to do. They're just dumbfounded. And Jesus said, you know, I'll give you words that no man be able to, re- to gainsay or resist. And, of course, their only alternative action is, you know what? We've got to get rid of these guys. They had no argument. They did not know what to do. You see, that is a crime to our Lord. And so, we should not be embarrassed to suffer or be ridiculed for the truth. You remember, we're not the weird ones in the world. They are. You know, sometimes, I know particularly ladies, if you hold the Bible standard, sometimes you feel like you're odd in the world because you're a minority. But we're not the weird ones. You know, Sometimes you see things out there, um, you know, tattoos all over the place. I guess they think it looks nice. I don't know. You know, hairdos, uh, you know, one side may be a different color than the other side, and one side may not have any, and, and you wonder where they came from. Um, you know, again, we ought not to be embarrassed to be ridiculed for standing for the truth. And then the third thing. Though we may suffer in this world, we need not be anxious. Notice verses 17 through 19 says, For the time has come 
that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if first begin at us, what shall, be the, shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, uh, two things I want to mention here. First of all, the time to judge is now. Time to judge ourselves is now. You know, verse 17 says, For the judgment is come, the time has come, I'm sorry, that judgment must begin at the house of God. So the time is right now for us to judge. You know, in, in, when Paul wrote to his letter to the church at Corinth in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he told them, what he told them was, look, you need to judge yourselves. You need to judge yourself, lest you be judged. 1 Corinthians 11, he's, of, course, of course he's talking about the Lord's Supper here in this situation, and, but he tells them as, as they prepare for that, or uh, consider that, in verse 31, he says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Uh, so he tells them, look, you need to judge yourself. In other words, examine yourself in the light of the word of God. You know, we need to be daily examining ourselves in the light of God's word. We need to be judging ourselves, scrutinizing our own life. Am I pleasing to the Lord? And so the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. That's where it should start. And, of course, we're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. We heard about that this morning. And, and so if we judge now, by the way, if we judge ourselves, we don't have to be concerned or anxious or worried about the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, it's interesting, the, verse, the song we just sang, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, uh, the, the verse 2 caught my attention. It says, sin and despair you know sin brings despair it causes us to be discouraged or to worry or to be anxious or despair of life you know sometimes we you can be overcome by sin and you just want to give up or overcome by circumstances you just want to give up but again you know James tells us we need to be patient uh so, so the time to judge is now. We need to judge ourselves so that we would not be judged. Yeah, the Lord is going to examine us. But if we were faithful, um, we will not lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ. So the time to judge is now. We need to judge ourselves. We need to judge ourselves. Um. And notice, notice in verse 18, there's an interesting statement that says this, and if the righteous scarcely be saved. So this again adds to the fact that we need to continually judge ourselves. If the righteous scarcely be saved, what does it mean if the righteous scarcely be saved? Well, the idea is, that, look, I know we're all saved by grace, but do we still miss, do we still can we, even in this life, uh, meet God's standard? 
Even as saved people, we fall short of the glory of God. You know, Romans 3.23, that verse that is often used in the Romans Road in presenting the gospel, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, that's written to Christians. You see, even we that are righteous fall short of God's holiness and God's perfection. And if we, in that sense, are scarcely saved, where is the ungodly going to stand? And so it points to the, the, the care, if you notice in verse 19, the care of our faithful God. Notice verse 19 says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. You know, we must trust the wisdom and care of our faithful God. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our uh, trying circumstances, we need to trust the wisdom and care of our God. You know, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So in boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter in verse 23 Speaking about the Lord Jesus, it says, uh, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And of course, that was his heavenly Father. He committed himself to his heavenly Father. You know, in James 1.5, and I didn't read that verse, and I didn't read it on purpose. You know, it, when you fall into all diverse temptations, and then he says this in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, Again, the context here is trials, temptations. And you lack wisdom. You don't know what to do. You don't know what the purpose is. You don't know why this is happening. Job didn't know why. He said, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask of God. And though Job didn't know, why he was suffering, Job made this statement in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You see, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what we might, we might have, what we might be allowed to suffer or endure, we must believe that our God is good and he allows all things for our good. Romans 8.28 says, um, have a senior moment. <laughs> uh, Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, Job learned some things through his trials that he would not have learned otherwise. The psalmist said, um, I can't remember how it goes, but, but uh, through his affliction, the Lord taught him. 
fact, look at Psalm 144. It's Psalm 144. There's an interesting statement there. I'm sorry, Psalm 141. Psalm 141. Verse 5 said this. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Uh, so, so it says, when I'm, when I'm smitten, when I'm reproved, he says it shall be an excellent, of course, he's talking about the righteous here. But I've often said, even, you know, we need, Bobby Mitchell, Pastor Mitchell said this too, the, the, I think it was Friday night, Friday night maybe. Even criticism, we may be able to learn from. Consider it. It may not be right, but consider it. We may learn from it. And so, trials are allowed into our life. We live in this sin-cursed world. They're not of God. If there was no sin in the world, we'd have no, none of these trials. We'd have none of this suffering. It would not exist. But it's here because of the curse of sin. And God allows them in their life. He could take them away, but he didn't take Paul's away. He could take them away. But he allows them to teach us, to instruct us, to prove us, and to conform us into the image of Christ. So, don't be surprised. Let's suffer without shame. Let's not be surprised. Let's endure as Job did and be faithful in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our sufferings. And, and might God help us to learn through them and be drawn into a closer relationship with our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for your word and the encouragement and the strength we can find in it. And I pray, Father, that you help us as your people here at Lighthouse Baptist Church to endure the hardships and the sufferings of life and to rejoice in your blessings. Father, we thank you that though we do suffer difficult times, yet we thank you for the great gift of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you we have a Heavenly Father that watches over us and cares for us. We thank you that we have a Spirit of God who dwells within us to teach us and instruct us according to the precepts of your word. Father, help us to rest on your promises and help us just to keep your commandments and be faithful. Help us to examine our lives that we would not be judged by the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.